Good morning. <clears throat> you can turn to Luke chapter 23. Luke 23 this morning. I uh, just want to share something with you that uh, I forgot to tell Dean that we would talk about during announcements. But uh, next February 19th through the 26th, uh, we're going to be... Uh, uh, opening up the opportunity for you all or anybody who's interested to go to the Dominican Republic again on a missions trip February 19th through the 26th next year uh, in 2022. So the cost for that trip will be $1,115. That includes travel, uh, food, anything that you need uh, while we're in the Dominican Republic. So uh, we'll schedule... Uh, a meeting in the next few weeks to just kind of go through those things and explain to you uh, details about the trip and show you some pictures and things so you can understand more about that if you're interested. So we'll let you know next Sunday when we have a date for that. But be praying about that opportunity because uh, it's always uh, an awesome opportunity to be able to step out of your comfort zone and serve people and see how things work in different countries. Uh, Luke chapter 23. So Starting this Sunday up until Easter Sunday, we're going to start going through uh, kind of a series of uh, understanding the things that Christ said while he was on the cross. You might have heard this before. People phrase it different ways. They say different. Uh, the seven words of Christ on the cross or seven statements of Christ on the cross. The point is that as he was hanging on the cross, there were different things that he that he said that we can learn a lot from about the heart of God, about the heart of Christ for his people and what he desires of us. So we're going to start going through those things today until Easter. And uh, today we're going to be in Luke 23, uh, starting at verse 33. With, we're going to focus on uh, verse 34. We're going to be talking today about uh, Christ's word of forgiveness on the cross. Uh, so Luke 23, starting in verse 33 says, when they came to the place called the skull, they crucified him there along with the criminals, one on his right and the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, Father forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. This is what we're going to focus on today. Christ's statement, uh, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they are doing. Now, uh, the first thing that we have to understand in all this uh, is um, we see Christ in this moment interceding on our behalf. This is one of the things that he came to the earth to do, is that uh, understanding that the, the Word of God says that uh, uh, God dwells in unapproachable light, that his, his holiness is beyond what we can even imagine. Now you consider even the Old Covenant where they would set up uh, the tent of meeting or later the temple. And in that time, they could go minister before the Lord in the holy place. But as they would go into this building, there was a curtain that separated them, the most holy place where God dwelt. So they could go into the holy place and they could, uh, you know, deal with the candles or the table of showbread. They were to keep the altar of incense all continuously burning before the Lord. But only one time a year they could actually go into that place where God dwelt and be actually in his physical presence in that place. 
Now, the point is, what Christ was doing was coming to the earth to be able to intercede on our behalf, to be the priest that would go into the presence of God, into that place, so that we could come into the place of God's physical presence any time that we would want. That we could be in his presence every day and every moment. We see this even as he hung on the cross, and the Bible says that when he said, it is finished, it says then the curtain of the temple was torn from the top to the bottom, you understand that what that symbolized then is that Christ became the high priest that wouldn't have to only go into this uh, place of God's presence one time a year uh, because of the sacrifice of bulls and goats and all of those things, but he was able to enter in that place one time for all people, and now he stands in that place in God's presence interceding for us. He tore down that wall, allowing us through him to be able to access the presence of God in any moment, any day, wherever we are, no matter what we are doing, we are able to be in the presence of God. This was the, one of the reasons that Christ came so that he could intercede on our behalf before God the Father. Now this is what we see even though in his prayer in this moment. Again, he said, it says, Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they are doing. Now, he's talking in this moment, this if you go back and read through this passage, he was talking about uh, uh, how he would had been on trial, and then uh, obviously they knew he was innocent, but they wanted to crucify him anyway, and they would beat him, and they spit on him, and they hung him on the the, the cross, and uh, it says later in this passage that they divided up his clothes. The point was that these people took the God of heaven incarnate in Christ and crucified him and ridiculed him and projected all of their sinful desires on him. In this moment, the Bible says that people in this day, the day that we live in, suppress the truth of God by their wickedness. That's exactly what was happening in this moment. Everybody that you see in this account of Christ being crucified, being on trial, all of these things, it was people who were seeing God, because the Bible says that Christ is the exact representation of God. They would have known all of the prophecies. The Jews would have known all of the things that the Bible had outlined, prophetic words speaking forth what the Messiah would be. And Christ met every one of the criteria to fulfill all of those prophecies. The point is, in that moment, you see very vividly that Christ is set before them as the one who is the Messiah, but they wanted nothing to do with it. That is the picture of humanity suppressing the truth of God in unrighteousness. This is what we see in Romans 1. It says that God is known by the things that we see around us in the world. But people don't acknowledge it because they suppress the truth of God in their unrighteousness. What that means is they desire the sinful things that they do more than they desire to know who God is. You see, there are some people that you could present them more than enough evidence to believe that at the very least a belief in God is reasonable. You could present them enough evidence to at least make that case, but they will want nothing to do with it because they want to keep doing the things that they are doing. Now, my point is, this is what we see in this passage. When Christ says, forgive them, they don't know what they are doing. He is talking about people who are actively suppressing the truth that God has revealed in the earth through Christ. Christ is in their presence. He was, he healed them. He ate with them. He was with them. He taught them. He spoke with authority. And the people wanted nothing to do with it. They suppressed the truth of God because they desired their unrighteousness rather than what God was offering them in Christ. 
Now the point of this, again, though, is this reveals to us the heart of Christ in his intercession, that he would look on these people that are actively uh, suppressing that which he is trying to reveal to them for their freedom, for their joy, for peace, for righteousness, for everything that humanity is searching for. Christ came to reveal that in the earth, and he sees these people that are actively suppressing it, and not just suppressing it, but trying to stamp it out by killing him. But we see the heart of Christ in this moment. He says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. In that moment, he was entering into the presence of God on our behalf, intervening on behalf of those who were actively suppressing the truth that he had come to reveal. Now, uh, Isaiah 53, this goes back to Isaiah 53, one of the things that was prophesied. The last half of verse 12 uh, says, He bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. This is exactly what they were talking about in Isaiah 53, that he would make intercession for the transgressors. We see that then on the cross as he says, Father, forgive them, all of these people who are suppressing your truth. Forgive them because they don't know what they are doing. You see, Christ so loved humanity that humanity that in spite of their contempt, he would intervene on their behalf before God the Father. Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they are doing. There's a commentary called Precept Austin that said this about this phrase Jesus said. The English translations miss an important and amazing detail. In the original Greek language, the verb for Jesus said is in the imperfect tense, which means that Jesus was saying these wonderful words not just once, but over and over. The imperfect tense denotes continuous, ongoing, or repeated action in past. Thus, the imperfect tense often paints a vivid picture of an action as one which happens over and over. You see, what this is saying then is if you study this in the original language, it shows that the things that we read in the English Bible says Jesus said, forgive them for they don't know what they do. That implies to us that he said at one time. But if you read the original Greek language, it gives the picture of Christ speaking this over and over on behalf of the people that are suppressing the truth that he had come to reveal. You see, this reveals to us the heart of Christ on the cross. That it wouldn't just be a one-time thing that he said, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. That would be enough. But the heart of Christ led him to say this, speak this, over and over. Now that probably sounds significant to us, but understand also his physical condition in that moment. So we've talked about before, the Bible says that he was beaten. His back was ripped open. And if you study the medical records or the, any, any sort of medical professional who has discussed the crucifixion, they would have said that he would have had to push himself up to breathe. And he would sink back down again. He would have to push himself up to breathe. You imagine that he probably would have had to push himself up to say, Father, forgive them, because they don't know what they are doing. And in that moment, his back that is ripped wide open is dragging across rugged 
cross to say about those people in front of him and you and I, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they are doing. Understand how significant this is. The heart of Christ that is revealed in this statement for you and I, that he would endure pain beyond what we can even imagine, that he could then tear, the, the, tear open that curtain that separated the presence of God from us, and he would enter into that place. And the Bible says that he is able to save to the uttermost those who come to him, to come to God through him because he always lives to intercede. You see then, the moment that he was raised up to life again, after his death, he now stands in the presence of God on our behalf. And you can imagine that he's still saying to this day, Father, forgive those people because they don't know what they are doing. We see, secondly, his petition. It says, Jesus said, Father, forgive them. Forgive means, in the Greek language, means to lay aside, to leave, to omit, put away. Vine's Dictionary said this, gave this definition. It, forgive means to send away or set free. It conveys the basic idea of an action which causes separation and refers to Total detachment, total separation from a previous location or condition. You see, this is what Christ was praying on behalf of the people. Father, will you forgive these people? Totally detach them from that which they are doing. Because they don't know what they are doing. Now, does that mean that those people became blameless before God in that moment because Christ prayed that they would be forgiven? That's not what that means. What that means is God is then providing through Christ the opportunity for people to be forgiven. You see, it still takes some sort of action on our part for us to be forgiven. Christ is offering us forgiveness. He's petitioning the Father to forgive the people for the things they don't understand what they are doing. You see, God's not going to force himself on anyone in this life. This is always the question we see with uh, uh, people who question God or question his, his existence. Uh, you know, they say things like, how could God or how could a good God send somebody to hell? God doesn't send anyone to hell. People make that decision themselves. All through their lives they say, God, I want nothing to do with you. Why on earth would a good God force them then in eternity to have something to do with them? You see, it's, it's the decision of humanity to receive the forgiveness that, God, that Christ petitioned on our behalf. He's interceding with the Father saying, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. And God says, okay, I forgive you, here it is. Do you accept it? But this is what Christ was asking. Father, forgive them, send away or set them free Detach them from the ignorance of their sinful desires. And God is saying, okay, it's right here if they will accept it. We see this in uh, God's heart to separate us from our sin in Psalm 103. In verse 2 it says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, forget not all of his benefits. Verse 3, who forgives all our iniquity, 
verse 10, he does not deal with us according to our sins nor repay us according to our iniquities. Verse 12, as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. You see, Psalm 103 is trying to paint for us a picture of that which is possible only through supernatural, divine perfection and justice of God. It is trying to show us in human language something that is only possible with God. It is trying to describe to us something that is only possible in the spiritual realm, something that is beyond us. It says he has cast our sin as far as the east is from the west. The greatest thing that we can even imagine, how how do you account for that? How do you quantify as far as the east is from the west? It is infinite. The point is that in that moment Christ said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And God said, okay, here it is. If they will accept what I am doing through you, all of their ignorance in sinful desires, I will detach them fully and infinitely from those things. That's what God is offering us in Christ. We see this many times through the Word of God. Micah 7.19 says, You will again have compassion on us. You will tread our sins underfoot and hurl all our iniquities into the depths of the sea. Isaiah 38:17 In your love you kept me from the pit of destruction you have put all my sins behind your back. You see throughout the word of God God's trying to show us this picture of if you will just accept what I have to offer you all of your foolish sinful desires the things that you have done in your past will be cast as far as the east is from the west, it will be cast into the depths of the sea. Now, does that mean that you, might, that you won't face the consequences for decisions that you have made in this life? That's not what that means at all. There are things that people do, sinful things, that it will affect the rest of their lives among men. But the point is that when you receive that in God's presence, He will cast our sin, as the word says, behind his back, or the depths of the sea, or as far as the east is from the west. And in that moment then, even if I deal with the consequences among men, and rightly so, we should. But the point is that my standing before God, I stand before him pure. I have peace with him. I have fellowship with him. My sin no longer separates me from him but he invites me into his presence to have a seat at his table. And then when I deal with the consequences for my sin in this earth, I can do that among men with integrity. Christ's petition was that God would lay aside sins or to separate the ignorant man from his offenses. Next we see the motivation of his petition. Uh, Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Christ's compassion was motivated by the ignorance of man. We see this in the Word of God when Paul was talking to those in Corinth. In verse 7, 1 Corinthians 2, verse 7 says, No, we, do, we declare God's wisdom, a mystery that has been hidden, and that God destined for our glory before time began. Verse 8, None of the rulers of this age understood it, For if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Acts 3.17, we see that Peter and John had healed a man 
who could not walk, and the crowds were astonished at what they had seen. And Peter was saying to them, Why are you so surprised? All of this has been done by the power of Christ. And he said to them, You handed him Christ over to be killed. You disowned him before Pilate. And uh, though he decided, though Pilate had decided to let him go, and in verse 14 of Acts 3, You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. Verse 17, Now, fellow Israelites, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your leaders. This was the motivation of Christ's petition to God. Father, forgive them. Why? Because they don't know what they are doing. You see, Christ was seeing a greater spiritual picture than you and I envision sometimes. A.W. Tozer talks about this in his book, uh, uh, The Purpose of Man. He talks about how uh, imagining mankind uh, walking through the streets and encountering an enemy who would rob him and beat him to the point where he had amnesia and he would wake up in the hospital. He didn't know where he was, why he got there, where he was going. He knew nothing about himself. He relied on those around him to help him come back to an understanding of his purpose or his identity. He said that is exactly how our life is spiritually, that in the beginning... The enemy of our soul has robbed us and stolen our very identity. And you see, there are people that walk through this earth. They're stumbling around in the darkness searching for their identity. They have no idea who they are, why they are here, or where they are going. This is why... They were ignorant of the Son of God. You see, because some people walk through this earth and the first person that sounds convincing, they're willing to take what they have to offer. And this becomes my identity. Whatever you're offering me, this, this is what I identify with. So this is who I am. We see this very clearly in the day that we live in. You see, there's a, a group of people seems to be rising in numbers, people that have no idea what their identity actually is. They're very easily influenced to accept what mankind says they can be, which is whatever you feel like you are. This is why humanity so easily forsook Christ, because they had no idea who they were. They had no sense of identity, which Christ was coming to bring them. But you see in that, when Christ says, this is who you are, you are a child of God, that immediately though makes you accountable to God. And in that, mankind wants nothing to do with it, because then I am not sovereign over myself any longer. I'm not king of my life any longer. That means that I have another king. This is why people reject this is why they rejected Christ. You see, in that moment, they were looking for a king. They were looking for a Messiah that would come and set up a physical kingdom and he would oppress or bring under the Israelites all of the other kingdoms around them. That is what they were searching for. But you see, God came to bring them the kingdom of God. And remember, we have talked about 
uh, the kingdom of God and what the kingdom of God is. And if you study that, it means, to some extent, the kingdom of God means the ruling authority of God over us. It doesn't necessarily mean a physical place. It means the ruling authority of God over us. The point of this is that mankind desires to be sovereign over himself, to be king of his own life. And he is too blinded by that to see that the identity that God has for you and I is what we were created for. It is my created identity. And in that, when I have the image of God within me, when I am walking according to the identity that God has formed in my heart, I will never experience greater freedom. I will never experience greater peace or joy or happiness or or fulfillment anywhere else in the earth. I don't care what anyone else has to offer us in the earth. I don't care what anybody else says to you. This is what you can be. You can choose that. But I can guarantee you, you will never experience as much freedom as you'll find in the place where I live under the ruling authority of God, my King. Because my King knows what I was created for, what my purpose is, why I'm here, and where I'm going. My King exists not to oppress me, not to steal joy from me, but to lift me up and give me life. As his word says that I might have a seat at his table and to fellowship with him. You see, people reject Christ. They're ignorant of Christ because they still wander in the spiritual fog that A.W. Tozer would have talked about. Christ looked on mankind, though they're responsible and held accountable for sin. The Savior still looks on with compassion on a people who blindly stumble through this life. See, how much precious time is wasted in this life in contempt of the God who is able to give life? How much precious time is wasted in this life searching for meaning all the while Christ is knocking at the door of man's heart, waiting for him to open the door that he might bring life? How much time in this life is wasted searching for identity while God is saying, I am ready willing to accept you and to separate you from your sin. Cast it as far as the east is from the west and you will be adopted as my child. You see, we're not just, we don't just become subjects of God's kingdom, though we are, but we could become his children. Adopted as his children. We become co-heirs of all that Christ has has been given. The Bible says that we are co-heirs with Christ. We have a living hope and an inheritance. This is what God the Father is calling us to. Father, forgive them for they don't know what they are doing. Father, forgive them because they don't know who I am. This is what Christ was looking on and seeing in that moment. Father, forgive them because the enemy of mankind has robbed them and beaten them and stolen their identity. They have no idea who they are or what you have to offer. Father, forgive them. And God says, it is right here. Through you, the curtain will be torn in the temple and they can access me anytime. All they have to do is walk through you. The, the door is wide open. 
All you have to do is walk through. The worship team can come up as we begin to close this morning. A.W. Pink said this, The first of the seven cross sayings of our Lord presents him in an attitude of prayer. How significant, how instructive. His public ministry had opened with prayer, and here we see it closing in prayer. Surely he has left us an example. No longer might those hands minister to the sick, for they are nailed to the cross. No longer may those feet carry him on errands of mercy, for they are fastened to the cruel tree. No longer may he engage in instructing the apostles, for they have forsaken him and fled. How then does he occupy himself in the ministry of prayer for us? For us to understand the mercy of God, we have to understand the heart of Christ for you and I. We have to understand the purpose of Christ coming to this earth. That He could intervene before God on our behalf. What was He intervening for? You understand that according to God's law, because He is perfect in justice, our sin required death. He was intervening by stepping right in the middle of that. He was opening the door that you and I could walk into the presence of God at any moment if we would walk through Him. Christ said in Revelation, I can't remember what chapter, but He said, I stand before you an open door which no man can close. I stand before you an open door that no man can close. You see, what Christ has come to offer us is nothing that can be affected by humanity. It is something that is established in heaven in the place where God dwells. The forgiveness that is offered to you is not affected by mankind because it comes from the place where God dwells. And He is waiting for anyone who would be willing to see that Christ has opened the door for you to walk into His presence and to be adopted as a child of God and to become a co-heir with Christ. Everything that is Christ is ours through Him, not because of me, but because He was willing to be hung on a cross and say, Father, I give myself for them. Will you forgive them? Because they are robbed of identity They are robbed of purpose. They are robbed of spiritual vision. Will you give them that through me? Because they don't know what they are doing. And God was willing. And He said, yes. That door will be open through you. All they have to do is walk through that. Now, we're going to open the altars today. You can come to this side if you want somebody to pray with you. If you want to pray by yourself, you can come over here. In this, there are a few things. I'm almost done. There are a couple things that you and I need to think about. Number one, have you walked through that door? Do you understand that the enemy of humanity has robbed humanity of their identity and purpose? But the God through Christ is offering to adopt you as his children to restore within you his image and identity 
that you would have a purpose in Him. If you have not yet understood that, I would urge you to walk through that door that Christ has opened. You might still deal with the consequences of your sin in this earth, but you can have peace with God and fellowship with God and deal with your consequences with integrity. For those of you that have done that, consider the prayer of Christ, consider the heart of Christ that even in this moment of agony, in the presence of those who would ridicule Him in this way, suppress that which He came to bring them, His attitude was compassion in prayer for those people. That He would intercede on their behalf. You see, Christ calls us to the same thing. Remember the story of... uh, the people who uh, their friend was crippled and they were trying to bring him to Christ and they couldn't find a way through the crowd to get in, so they lowered him down through the roof of the house. You see, what the spiritual principle for you and I is to recognize there are people in your life that are crippled. They have no sense of identity or understanding of who they are. You might have tried to bring them. You might have tried to maybe speak to them about God or to bring them to church or something that's never worked you find a way to bring them through the roof. That might mean taking a step back and not talking to them about God for a little bit, but you're going through the roof and you're finding Christ on their behalf, meaning you're praying for them. We have to believe that prayer actually works. And when you're that adamant about bringing them to the Christ that that you would bring them through the roof, that means that you do it every day. Not that I'll pray for this person one time a week or whenever I think about it, but if I'm that adamant that I'm going to get this person to Christ, that I would take him through the roof, that means that I am desperate for this, and I'm going to do it every day. If there's anything that you need to pray about today, again, come to this side, you can pray. Somebody will come pray with you. If you can come to this side and you pray by yourself this morning. God, we thank you today again for the opportunity to be in your presence. We thank you for the sacrifice of Christ. And Father, even greater for the heart that we see in Christ, his compassion and divine pity that was directed towards us. Father, that he would over and over say, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they are doing. You can't even begin to imagine the patience and the long-suffering and love that was contained in His heart for us. Father, give us spiritual vision to see, to understand that You have seen that the enemy has robbed mankind of their identity, but You have offered through Christ then to restore Your image within us and to adopt us as Your children. Father, if there's anybody who is here who has not taken that step through the door of Christ yet into Your presence, We pray that you would convict them of that, that they would come to see the great hope and peace and joy and love that is available in you. And Father, for those who have, we pray that you would form within us the heart and the mind of Christ. That our first reaction would not ever be to uh, take offense to things, but our first reaction would be that of compassion, sacrificial love, and interceding on behalf of others, carrying them to you. 
Father, we love you today. We thank you for all that you are and all that you will do as we walk with you. It is in your name we pray. Amen.